Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for the message this morning is the Old Testament reading from Exodus chapter 24, uh, and that begins at verse 8. I'd like to start by saying, after reading these verses from the Old Testament, I'm glad that I wasn't with Moses tagging along. If you stop and try to imagine what might have been going through Moses' mind as he was making his way alone up the mountain into the glory of the Lord, a cloud, as it says, that was a devouring fire. It wasn't a warm glow. It was literally a devouring fire that eats things. And happily, on this Transfiguration Sunday, we get to stay down at the foot of the mountain. Only specific chosen people go up. So personally, I'm glad that we are down here. And from this position, I'd like to pose a question. What can we learn? What can this reading from Exodus 24 teach us here at the foot of the mountain? Well, I'd like to suggest that we can learn three things. First, we learn that in Himself, the God of Israel is terrifying. He's frightening. He is indescribably powerful. He is the sort of God that people like you and me don't want to have personal dealings with. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Yes, of course, God is love. He is mercy and so forth. But it might be good for us to realize that we ought to find the fact that God loves us surprising. And that His strangeness should seem normal. You need both, of course. And in Jesus, we have the decisive love of God. But if you stop to think about it, there are times when Jesus too seems very strange. Dr. Gibbs from the seminary in St. Louis shared the following story. He said, When I was about seven years old in the front yard of our house in Pennsylvania, I forgot who I was dealing with. The person happened to be my father. Now, he was a good dad, not an abusive parent, but certainly imperfect like all fathers. I knew that he loved my mother, and I knew that he loved all five of us children. But one day at the advanced age of seven or eight, and impressed with my own cleverness and my speed, I decided I would talk back to my father. I would sass him from a safe distance, 30 feet or so. Dr. Gibbs continued, and so I did. And I learned that I had no idea who I was dealing with. My dad would have been about 35 years old. And at the time, he was on me like a snake. It's odd to remember that, Dr. Gibbs said. I had badly miscalculated. 
I'm happy to say that it wasn't to my doom. It was only to my discomfort. But I had forgotten who I was dealing with. You see, God who made the heavens and the earth by the word of His mouth is a person so strange and so powerful and frightening in His own being that we should probably never lose sight of that. But I do confess that until I took a close look at this reading in preparation for this morning, I thought that the elders of Israel were happy when they were called to go up on the mountain to see the God of Israel. I'd always thought that they went, oh great, this will be fun. Of course, the text doesn't say what they were feeling. It doesn't tell us. But it strikes me at least as possible that the only reason they went was because they were summoned. They were chosen. And of course, Moses goes alone into the cloud, into the fire of the Lord's presence. Now let's take a moment and recall the Mount of Transfiguration. Starts off glorious, and then it gets scary. Peter typically speaks when he should not and is clueless. It is good, Lord, to be here. And while Peter asks about building shelters, God the Father shows up in a bright cloud and speaks with presumably a booming voice. This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And the three disciples who heard it fell on their faces and were terrified. They were terrified. So the true God of Israel is a frightening God. So if we learn this at the foot of the mountain, what shall we do with it? The answer, in a way, is simple. We are to fear Him. Let us acknowledge that His ways are often incomprehensible to us. Let us not presume to know more than we do. For both Deuteronomy and Hebrews say our God is a consuming fire. Second, from the foot of the mountain we learn that this God who is utterly strange and terrifying actually desires something that we might not expect. He wants for himself an Israel. He wants for himself a people. A people whom he can say, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the whole point of the reading in Exodus 24, which is bringing to conclusion the reading from Exodus 19, there at the foot of the same mountain. That's why this reading begins with that strange start with the sprinkling of the blood on the people. A few verses earlier, Moses had already sprinkled the blood upon the altar. And now, God has a people. And that begs the question, why would God do such a thing? Couldn't He just be satisfied with the holy angels? Or why not wipe everyone out and just start over again? I don't know. I'm trying to learn not to ask what God could have done. I'm trying to learn not to ask why God didn't do this or that. All I can know 
is what he does. And he wants an Israel. He wants a people for whom he can be God and they can be his people. I think it's connected to the truth that this is his world and he's in the business of reclaiming it. And he apparently likes to work through means, even when it seems crystal clear to me that he should do things in a different way. But the beautiful thing is this. God wants a people. And given the background and track record of Israel or me or you, apparently the second thing we learn from the foot of the mountain says more about God than it does about us. And that is good news. Because that means that anyone, anyone can belong to Israel. Anyone can belong to God's people. If I can, if you can, then anyone can. God will have a people to bless and through them bless the world. So the true God is strange and powerful beyond belief. And we are to fear Him and not think that He will always explain His ways to us. And this same God wants to have an Israel, a people for Himself. And He will make that happen where anyone can come and belong. All who labor and are heavy laden. The third thing. The third thing from this reading is this. God Himself chooses a mediator, a go-between, someone to stand between himself and his people. And in the Old Testament, Moses was the chosen mediator. Now, this is not really about Moses, as he doesn't really volunteer, as you may recall. He doesn't have a passion for what God has in store for him. And this reading doesn't describe Moses' mental state as he goes into the fire. But if he was afraid of a burning bush, well, I can't even imagine. The Bible says that God spoke with Moses as a man speaks with his friend. Now, I don't think it would be right to infer from this that the God of Israel was Moses' friend. No, the God of Moses was Moses' God. But this God chose Moses. And Moses prayed and interceded, and God saved Israel from slavery in the land of Egypt through Moses and his mediation. Now, you and I don't approach God directly either, not in his own being. A short true story about a pastor who once tricked people who came to his Sunday morning Bible class. He did this because he knew that one of them had brought along a Catholic friend that morning. And so the pastor said, Okay, do you really need a priest to approach God? And all the Lutherans said no. And the Catholics said yes. And the pastor, pointing to the Catholic, said she's right. Although not for the reason she maybe thinks. St. Paul answers this for us. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, when he wrote, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 
You see, God has chosen a mediator and not just anyone, but His Son, Jesus. On the terrifying Mount of Transfiguration, God spoke and He had only one thing to say. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. And of course, what they needed to listen to was the strange message Peter and the others had already started to reject. They wanted their God to act in predictable ways. But their God acted in the way that was necessary. Jesus had to suffer. He was rejected And the glorious Son, so much greater than Moses, as the builder of the house, is greater than the servant of the house. The glorious Son was crucified and He died. But this God will not be denied. He will have a people and He will have His creation back, free and restored. And so He freed Jesus from death. He restored Him. And He restored you and all of creation. This Son. This Son is the mediator between God and us. Do not try to approach the Holy God apart from the mediator, His Son, Jesus. But do approach with fear and with trembling, with joy and with laughter, with wonder and with praise. Approach the strange and holy God through Jesus. He is God's chosen one. And when God does things around you and in you and to you, things that you do not understand and that make you weep, go to this God still through Jesus and He will be your God and you will be His people. God chooses the mediator between Himself and His people here at the foot of the mountain. And all God's people say, Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.